louder. Exploitation, your guide to exploited cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabagger from that under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, mother lickers. And the slickest of all the Knicks, Mr. Slick Nick. How are y'all doing this fine day? And joining us today from the Beetle Bros Podcast, Ryan. <laughs> nice to have you aboard, buddy. Thanks, it's nice to be here. So, we have a doozy of an episode for you today. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, you know what to do. Yeah, absolutely, Mr. Bowser. Well, not much has happened down in my neck of the woods this week. Honestly, nothing's fucking happened down here. I just worked fucking, yeah. I'm actually struggling to think of what I've done this fucking week other than collaborate with you on, uh, actually, yeah, no, collaborating with you on the fucking uh, comic that we've got going on. Um, what else? Didn't really watch any other movies this week um, other than this film. I'm actually really keen to talk about this film this week. I see that Second Sight Films dropped a tasty pre-order on us. Over ah, the, well, oh. yeah, Dog Soldiers. So yeah. I'll be definitely purchasing that motherfucker. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Absolutely indeed. <laughs> uh, comes with some some tasty goodies. So it was nice to wake up and see that. Might have to go over to old Vinzin and purchase, uh, what was that documentary you just showed me again? Uh, Love, Love and Saucers. Love and Saucers, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The whole uh, concept of that sounds absolutely batshit insane, so I'll be definitely sussing that one out. And I'll be looking forward to hearing your review on that, Mr. Bowser, once you watch it. So, uh, absolutely. But other than that, uh, not much. Not much. I'm a very boring human being. How about you, Slick Nick? Well, I, Brody, am also a very boring human being. Uh, Didn't do a lot this week. Um mostly just working um pretty much that is really about it i've just been preparing for my doctor's checkup because it's the first one in forever so i've been lame and i've been at home drinking water and eating spinach and salads like a jackass (laughs) very importantly with low fat dressing with with low fat italian dressing yes i have to make sure of that (laughs) but we might be doing some stuff this weekend so friend sean's uh birthday tomorrow so we might watch the batman uh tomorrow if given the chance might get some people together for that one uh, might go hang out with him later tonight i haven't decided yet but yeah that's really about all i have been up to this week ryan what about you uh well i i spent my week not getting invited to sean's birthday <laughs> you didn't do anything you didn't it's not a physical thing we'd be in discord watching that thing together <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> To be fair, he hasn't even talked about it. The thing popped up on my uh, Google Calendar today, and it was like, tomorrow Sean's birthday. And I went, oh, tomorrow is Sean's birthday. <laughs> Boy, the slice of life just got spicy. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to Alex's tonight to paint Warhammer stuff. I haven't decided if I'm even going to go yet. So. Uh. <laughs> 
Um, but besides being betrayed by the people I count as brothers, I guess I've been, <laughs> I've been working just like every other adult I know, which is so crushing to realize. But I did do fan art for the Beetle Bros. Yeah. Uh, TJ, mm-hmm. did I send that to you? No, I didn't get the latest. Oh, I drew Joe. I think the last thing you <laughs> sent me was Nick with something in his ass. No, 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 no. It wasn't it my wasn't ass. It wasn't in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, this sick I mean, fuck would not. In the other hole. Well, <laughs> anything that that mild yeah no. <laughs> this old brother of mine here <laughs> this is why you weren't invited to sean's birthday party. okay in retrospect fair <laughs> sean was like he never drew me with anything up my dick hole <laughs> he's not invited to my birthday party <laughs> It's on the to-do list. But uh, yeah, no, that's I, I've been working and doing nothing. How about you, TJ? Well, I've been trying to stay busy, worked a bunch this week, but made a lot of progress on the comic book. Brody and I, like he said, been collabing back and forth, got a package in from Vinegar Syndrome today, made a couple deals with the uh, comic folk locally, and got some more Crow comics, slowly but surely collecting uh, all the issues of those. The single issues, Not don't got too many of those, uh, the graphic novel compendium type things not into those as much kind of like to see all the old ads and stuff you know it's just the nostalgia factor anyway yeah like i said got the vincent order finally got that flesh eater revenge of the living dead in in 4k can't wait to watch it local film super hype bill hinsman shout out awesome director but yeah hyped about this film first time watch for me this week's film is come to daddy from 2019 Yeah, it's me, Norp. I got your letter. I never thought I'd see you again. For how long has it been? A long time. A long time, yeah. I realize I know nothing about you. Boy, your mom really doesn't talk about me, does she? Oh, really? Mom, hey, it's Dad. He's he's not how I imagined him. He's not used to having people around. Dad, why did you ask me to come here? I don't want to discuss it. I need to know why you sent that letter. I gotta take a crap. I know what's happening. You got no idea what's happening here. I could see the king Ever been in a fight? I once have kicked the guy's ear off. I got this theory. Bad guys have eyes that look like razors. <laughs> you have to kill him? I'm not a murderer. You just killed somebody five minutes ago. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up being best friends. Come here. Come to daddy.
And that is from director Ant Timpson, who's better known as a producer who did films such as Housebound in 2014, Turbo Kid in 2015, and Censor in 2021. And that is a damn fine film. Writers Toby Harvard and Ant Timpson. Cinematographer Daniel Katz, who worked on Before I Disappear in 2014, My Friend Dahmer in 2017, and House of Darkness in 2022. Music by Carl Steven, who did Possum Hunter in 2000, a TV movie, Bombshell in 2016, another TV movie in The Girl on the Bridge in 2020. Costume design Angela Ganderton, who did The Age of Adeline in 2015, Legion in 2017, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in 2022. Production design Zosisa McKenzie, who worked on Giant Little Ones in 2018, VHS 1994 in 2021, and the, most recently, Firestarter in 2022. Producers Toby Hartford, Met Marie Kongsved, Laura Tunstall, Daniel Beckerman, Emma Slade, and Katie Holly. Set decoration Charlie Whiteway, who worked on Perfect Scan in 2018, The Delivered in 2019, and a violent man in 2020. Budget. We could not find one. According to Slick Nick, none of Mr. Timpson's films have a public budget of some sort, right? I was not able to find any. I looked through like the numbers um, website with all the financial details and everything. Mm -hmm. I can get the box office and the domestics and everything. I could not get a budget for anything he did. Interesting. And we did mention like there's a ton of producers on this. So there's a lot Mm -hmm. of sources of money. So yeah. Yeah, but like at the same time, he did it with a few people that he knew personally and they pulled the the classic canadian move of vancouver now plays literally every place on earth <laughs> so oh. it's all like filmed on vancouver island and everything it's a little exploitation, a little bit true that filmed mm-hmm. by a kiwi well yeah filmed by a kiwi mm-hmm. yeah he's from auckland starring elijah wood as norval greenwood who was also in flipper in 1996 the hit classic eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in 2004 and maniac in 2012 stephen mccaddy as gordon who starred in the covenant in 2006 pawnee pool in 2008 shout out nick and Watchmen in 2009. Garfield. I know. (laughs) Garfield Wilson as Ronald Plum, who starred in The Keeper in 2004, Altered Carbon in 2018, a TV series, and The Man in the High Castle in 2019, another TV series. Madeline Sammy as Gladys, who starred in Perfect Strangers in 2003, Eagle vs. Shark in 2007, and Slow West in 2015. Martin Donovan as Brian, who starred in Windchill in 2007, Shadow and Lies in 2010, and Tenet in 2020. Michael Smiley as Jethro, who also starred in an earlier season's Kill List in 2011, Rogue One, a Star Wars story in 2016, and Gunpowder Milkshake in 2021. Simon Chin as Dandy, who starred in Sleepwalking in 2008, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Dog Days in 2012, and Snake Eyes in 2021. And last, but certainly not least, Anna Grauer as Precious, who starred in House of the Dead in 2003, Firewall in 2006, and Elysium in 2013. Ryan, take it away. Norval Greenwood has come to see his estranged father after receiving a mysterious letter, drinking away his days in a UFO-shaped house on a rocky coast. Gordon takes an instant loathing to the young man, throwing rocks at Norval's head, mocking his problems with alcohol, and finally, assaulting Norval with a stream of obscenities. But Gordon and Norval's relationship is more than a father-son reunion, as Norval uncovers secrets in the house and hides from the mysterious men who are stalking the property. It gets bloody from there. Awards! Toronto After Dark Film Festival in 2019. Best Director, Ant Timpson. Winner, winner, Chicken Dinner. Best Male Actor in a Leading Role, Elijah Wood. Winner, winner, Chicken Dinner. Strasbourg European Fantastic Film Festival in 2019. Best International Feature Film, Ant Timpson. Nominee. New Chanel International Fantastic Film Festival 2019. Youth Jury Award, Ant Timpson. Winner, winner, Chicken Dinner. Best Feature Film, Ant Timpson. Nominee. Mullins Film Festival Award 2019. Best Film, Ant Timpson. Winner, winner, 
Chicken Dinner. Best Screenplay, Toby Hartford, Ant Timpson, Winner. Fright Meter Awards in 2020. Best Supporting Actor, Stephen McCaddy. Nominee, should have won more. Best Actor, Elijah Wood. Nominee. And last, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards in 2021. Best Feature Film, Winner, Winner. Best Supporting Performance, Stephen McCaddy. There we go. And Best Screenplay, Toby Hartford. Boys, let's get physical. So we have a boring ass release from Lionsgate Films that was released March 24th, 2020, and it runs 99 minutes. And it's rated R. Features a 1080p high def presentation, English 5.1, DTS HD Master Audio, Spanish subtitles, English subtitles, and is region A lock. Nick, why'd you pick it? Well, I have been a big fan of a lot of the smaller genre films uh, that actors like Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe, um, people kind of who have been sort of pigeonholed, um, at least or were um, sort of certain during the start of their careers uh, with Elijah, you know, as Frodo, of course. And But I have really liked seeing um, these actors sort of break out of their shells and kind of just try to, to go for gusto and just do stuff that they want to do. Um, just working with their friends, uh, which we will get into, of course, in the additional um, information in this. But, uh, I, you know, I think it kind of started a little bit with Elijah Wood whenever he went to play the cannibal in Sin City. And then they kind of mm. went with that from like getting him into the Maniac uh, remake and everything. And so um, I will get into it a bit as in one of my additional notes. But he does kind of talk about it. He's like, I just want to start doing stuff that I like. And you know me, I like these little weird genre films. Uh, that fill a very specific niche. And it almost feels like the director's like, I made this for me. <laughs> I made this for me and my friends and whoever likes it, likes it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. Uh, it's the same reason I like The Lighthouse and everything like that. But that is pretty much uh, my main reasons for for dragging y'all along with me through this one. Fair enough. So, Brody, what'd you dig up? Uh, yeah, I was able to find in an interview with uh, direct Ant Timpson over at the Film Inquiry. Um, and Ant discusses the story being loosely based on something he went through in life. And he goes on to say that yeah, so my dad was very ill for a while and I was with him right at the end when he passed away and it was traumatic. So it was thought that it was a really good way to grieve, uh, to bring the body back to the house, well, into the house, embalmed and spend time processing and working through whatever we needed to do. So all the siblings spent time there, but I ended up being the one who really stayed there through the nights. It was a very quiet, surreal, alone, strange time going down, visiting him and trying to talk to him. Going through his clothes and and everything. During the final days, people would come and pay their respects and were talking about my father. And it was great because I knew them, but I didn't know some and they had these stories I hadn't heard of. It was like this alternate history and I started to question like, did I really know everything about him? Then I felt like watching him die. I started to feel very old and that life was very, very short and maybe I should do what I had been thinking about for decades now, which is go back to directing. So it was this massive shove. So um, he does kind of elaborate a little bit further uh, on his experience um, working on a project based on such a personal experience and everything. It's from a separate uh, subculture entertainment interview that I found uh, in which he says, so uh, that actually happened to me when I set about doing another project when my mother passed uh, that had the reverse effect on me to what this one did. It kind of put me off making anything, but this had the complete opposite effect. This re-energized me and it made me want to be far more creative. This time I wanted to be at the helm and do more directing than producing. It was really a case of shit or get off the pot. And once I knew I was going to frame it within a genre framework, that was something I felt a lot more comfortable with. And it wasn't going to end up being some morbidly depressing drama 
about the death of my father, then I felt a lot more confident about it and a lot more positive about the whole experience. Brody? So yeah, uh, going back to the film inquiry interview with uh, the director, um, he talks about his thoughts on getting Elijah Wood for the film. He goes on to say, there was a stage where I thought that this was going to be a bigger film and anyone going to trust me to do it with more money. And so I thought, am I going to send this to Elijah and pray? Uh, we talked about Elijah when we were working on the film and thought it would be an amazing if Elijah played Norville. Not just because you're also a DJ, but because we were like, what a guy. He would ground the whole film in what we need because it's such a one-man show. You need someone who can go through the ringer and hold it all together, and it worked out beautifully. So Ant Timpson goes to speak about the influences on the design of Elijah's character Norville. Uh, this is from a different interview with Screen Rant. And he says, I was joking around when we were writing the script and and thinking of what the character might look like. So it's just one of the very first ideas, an impression, and nothing against the character. He's obviously quite a lovely dude. It was just the type of look that was quite striking. Uh, and then we just started throwing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we just started throwing more and more ideas. And I was just like looking at the fashion, uh, fashion trends from all over and kind of wanted to throw things just at Elijah to see how game he was. He was super game. It was a collaboration between all of us, the makeup, the department, and Elijah and myself. He just feels like a complete human, you know? Looks like somebody so in we, we're going. He does. He really does. <laughs> it's been 10 years since I've been to Portland. He'd fit right in. <laughs> uh, he, he wandered off the set of Portlandia right onto this. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking to Fred Ormison. He turned around for a second, turned back, and Aunt Tibson was there. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that's how he gets the actors for his movies. <laughs> Some these are all just backstories for characters in Portlandia. <laughs> <laughs> Brody, take it away. So heading back over to the film inquiry interview with Ant, uh, he discusses the balance of dark humor throughout the film. Goes on to say, it's a constant thought process of how easy this could go off the rails in terms of the balancing act. With the tonal shifts, we talked a lot about that. Elijah had to think about it because we shot out of sequence. Where he needed to be, where to go, but what he had previously, when the shifts did happen, we had to keep an eye on that, about where he had been to bring him to the shift. Uh, the easiest way to do it is to keep things seeming believable. In a way, if your shifts is fun, but it's ridiculous, you'll lose everyone. You have to be slightly consistent, even if it is exaggerated. It can be a hybrid type scenario of different beats when they do things that are completely left out of field and don't make sense at all. There's no logic to it. So I think it's grounded and we went back and forth with Toby, I didn't want anything to make full sense, but there's mostly we fine tune right down to the needle. So uh, we have Elijah explaining the flaws and strengths of Norval's character that he found while working on film. He says, yeah, I mean, we have a very short amount of time in the beginning of the movie to establish who this person is. Uh, and he is very well written in the context of the script. In terms of these moments that give you a little insight, the biggest one being the long conversation that he has with his dad, where he's trying to impress him. You kind of get the sense that he's a little bit of a douche bag, but I think it was important for me to find the balance of this person who comes from a certain world, who probably isn't as successful as he thinks he is or makes out to be. And underneath all of that, there's just a desire to be loved. There's a sort of a broken person who dealt with some substance abuse issues, never had a father, basically. The only memory he has of his father was when he was four years old. So Elijah also discusses the balance of dark humor throughout the film. It is tricky because we were mostly in one location we had to keep reminding ourselves where we were. We had an incredible script supervisor who helped 
immensely and as far as keeping us on the right track uh, because you can lose yourself very quickly. I'm in a very similar wardrobe and rooms, but in terms of where Norval is emotionally at the moment, it can be quite different. These are extraordinary circumstances, but everybody in them is acting from a place of honesty and reacting in a realistic way, I think. So we then have Elijah's first reaction to reading his character. He says, I found him funny, bizarre, and pretentious, but ultimately becomes likable and relatable too, because he is this guy that despite where he's coming from and the person he's grown up to be, which we only sort of get glimpses uh, from in terms of the way he articulates his life. He's also vulnerable and he's putting himself out there and he's traveled far away to this place to meet his dad, who he has no relationship with and only has vague memories of, which is a scary thing. The sort of expectations that one attaches to that sort of meeting and the hopes of resurrecting a relationship he never had, all of these things. At that point, the type of person that he is, the silly artifice that makes up who he is, kind of disappears. Because in the heart of what he is going through, he is vulnerable and hoping to have some kind of relationship, but ultimately doesn't reveal itself to be what he imagined at all. So Elijah talks about the wardrobe design of his character. It was a collaboration of Ant and had some really specific ideas and had done a fair amount of research from the fashion angle and also the hairstyle. He had a lot of really strong ideas. It was such a fun wardrobe that was really a collaboration between Ant, myself, and the hair and makeup department slash wardrobe. To me, it was really about finding a happy medium of looking like an alien, like a fish out of water, but also believable. In an interview with director Ant at Sci-Fi Wire, he talks about Stephen McHattie uh, in general. He says, he's an awesome guy. He's exactly what I expected and what I kind of wanted because I'd seen red carpet interviews with the guy burning down journalists. Uh, there was so much pre-intimidation leading up to meeting with him. Uh, we had a staring contest straight out of the gate. I knew if I was feeling that, then Elijah was probably going to feel that, and then the audience would feel it. Physically, McHattie is a lean-cut dude. He looks like he could fuck you up. He was like Jack Palance, man. He'd drop down and do 50 press-ups in a few minutes in front of us. That guy's legit. Mm -hmm. Having that physicality and the way he'd use language as a weapon, he just hit all the rights. Yeah, fucking Steven's awesome. Love it. Having a kind of a fucking run, I'll tell you that much. Um, So, uh, Elijah elaborates on working with Stephen. It was a joy to work with him. For me, that sort of cat and mouse dynamic. Two people trying to best each other and trying to figure the other out. He made that so delicious because he embodied that character so well and was so intimidating. We didn't have any rehearsal. I think we did one read through of the script. The Saturday before we started shooting, that was the first time any of us had heard the words out loud or even expressed the words out loud. That was it. And then we were off and running. So finally, we have an article from IndieWire in which Elijah Wood speaks about why he has chosen to work on these smaller genre-driven films. It says, it's such an organic process. Uh, my intention is not to circumvent agents, um, but it's just interesting to find work where it kind of comes to you. Uh, some of these things are the ones representative of a portion of my tastes and the kind of movies that I really like to make. Well, boys, let's talk about it! Okay, boys, so favorite performance of the film, Brody. Take it away. I'm going to have to go with Stephen McHaty on this one. Whenever we are graced with his fucking presence on the screen, I just cannot take my fucking eyes off him. I mean, very unpredictable, that man, and extremely well-rounded in his acting game, and I've 
You'll love it. And the, and the way he betrays his character is amazing to watch, obviously. But I, I was laughing and actually terrified by his actions in most scenes. So he's just such a cunning, drunken laugher, I, I find. And I loved every bit of it. The half an hour we get to see him feels like 10 minutes just because I, I was enjoying him so much. And I kind of wish we got him a little bit more, but unfortunately that's sad. Well, sadly, that's not the case. Um, Spoiler alert. I mean, it's just fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic <laughs> stuff. Uh, so, yeah. I don't really care. This film's been out for years, and if you haven't seen it, go fuck yourself. So. There we go. Was waiting for it. There it is. <laughs> go watch the movie. I think we, we kind of give that off Yeah, with each of our episodes. Just go watch the movie. Come back listen to it. How about you, Slick Nick? Well, I am going to have to agree with you. Uh, I did also have Stephen McHattie um, as Gordon for my pick. That man has the most intimidating presence just of the entire film. I am going to have to give an honorable mention to Michael Smiley as Jethro, of course, because yeah! I love Michael Smiley and he manages to be scary and also absolutely hilarious. McCaddy does as well. McCaddy, I think does it better than Michael Smiley in this one. Um, but I just, I had to mention him. He, he had to be mentioned. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stab you with this shitty pen, Brian. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, um, I mean, he really does sort of give off this this sort of weird mystique to him of like, you can almost kind of buy him being the dad, but there is that just like, there's something off. If you don't know the twist and everything to the movie, it's just, you're like, there's, there's something not quite right. And it's not just that they don't get along or he doesn't like his son. There's something fucking weird with him. And I, you can't quite pick it up. Maybe it's a red herring maybe he's just this threatening for no reason but and then it just like kind of keeps you guessing and i really like that about his performance um so yeah i am going to have to to go with stephen mccaddy um and michael smiley is my two favorites but props to elijah i really liked his fish out of water uh beverly hills douchebag hipster <laughs> uh portrayal of norval i did quite enjoy it ryan what was your favorite performance of the movie I'm a little pissed off because those were the two people i'm like all right so if somebody picks you know steve i can always go with you know mr smart but no yeah those are that's i i don't know what to say now because that kind of encapsulates everything i had planned uh i guess i can go a little deeper with the michael smiley um because yep. he so he reminds me a lot of like the uh um ron jeremy character for, well i okay so every movie but the one that probably got the most developed was the one in boondock saints where it, he you at least mm -hmm. got to see all right he likes racist jokes and jerking off you know that's more character development than he normally gets in his roles uh, <laughs> but you know that greasy slimy guy but also what interested me so much is like because of course you know the the uh, uh Stephen McCaddy he his portrayal of the dad you know you you go into it expecting this kind of uh not avant-garde but different you know not your standard setup for a movie uh mm. more indie more uh uh like the gambling they're they're taking a step in a in a mm. more wild direction than a company that wants to keep on stable ground might be um it, it it's a it's a really uh, interesting uh, performance from him and then to find out that jethro is his best friend yeah really makes me curious and like the more michael smiley was on screen uh <laughs> he it just it was so intriguing like you just find out a little bit more he honestly probably got the most character development out of anyone in this movie i also uh well the michael smiley his character brought that whole like mystery to 
things because i feel like a lot of it's very straight like even if it's making you question what's real or not outside of the the weird metaphysical concepts of the oh is he haunting me now that he's a corpse or whatever part Mm -hmm. that you get in the thing but tj uh play me out okay (laughs) (laughs) so i would have to agree with ryan and say michael smiley absolutely because he is just such an incredible bad guy whenever he pulls the crossbow and then lights it on fire out of the trunk and just does his little (laughs) monologue thing so fucking good kind of gave me the vibes of like christopher lloyd and dennis the menace just like how gross he fucking is and of course the auto rocket auto erotic asphyxiation by the prostitute thing is just fucking hilarious to me because the moment he gets mad he's like no you're the fucking weirdo not me and then uh <laughs> like that's just such so fucking funny to me uh i love like ryan said he's of all characters we see his character the flushed out the most for whatever fucking weird reason absolutely cool we'll have to mention the dad though i think the dad for whatever little time he is on screen we got hinted at a very interesting character again like ryan said because he's friends with this jethro guy because he's just like he seems so subdued but is he because he's friends with all these fucking weirdos and all these like really intense murdering people so there's something cool back there so i just think that like what little we do see of him uh it's interesting i wouldn't say it's the best that's why michael smiley's there if you want attention that guy's entertaining as fuck so favorite set piece of the film we're all probably gonna go with the easy answer Uh uh-oh but i'll start things off with nick oh okay all right the motel um you're gonna say the house (laughs) so (laughs) uh i really do like the design of that that ufo looking house looks on like the, the island uh, in the lake looks like the chemosphere house from body double it does it does i i really do think that it, it helps to lend to the the mysteriousness of the character of his dad or at least the idea of his dad not even just gordon or brian either his actual dad or stephen mccaddy's fake dad um because it i think what it probably lends the most to uh, elijah wood said when he was talking about portraying norval as a sort of alien fish out of water um and then he comes in and his dad's house looks like a ufo and they have that conversation when he sits down he's like i like your house and he goes bullshit what do you like about it i like that it looks like a ufo (laughs) it like and they even sort of pointed out uh in the film itself um i love the different layers that start to kind of unfold when he you know you reveal the the vault under the living room and all of that because it does i think help to the development of brian's character like you said for the short amount of time that he's there oh well now he's you know he's obviously going to be normal and a straight guy character you know and all of that but at the same time well he's best friends with the burning crossbow wielding maniac he has a giant vault hidden underneath a rug in his living room he is a kidnapper <laughs> like a self-admitted kidnapper and i think that the the house sort of lends to unlocking little bits of layers of the character of his dad in the same way that the characters themselves do the people mm-hmm. um but yeah th- that was probably my sort of uh, approach to the, the thoughts on it. I did really like that seedy, gross motel with the weird guy uh, reading jugs at the <laughs> at the counter, though. I really like those sort of gross, seedy motels in movies and things Why like that. Why were there rooms connected by a door like that? There's like, a lot of... Have you never seen rooms ho- like that? No, yeah, but mostly in, like, hotels. Like, motels are very bare. Like, all the ones I've been to have been... Nah, we got these little separate domiciles for you to do crack in. Yeah, I've, uh, all the motels I've been in... We've had those doors like that. I can even think. Yeah, I can actually think of one um, out in the town that my grandparents lived in. Every room was themed and we got the Hitchcock room and my mom hates Hitchcock and horror movies. It scared the (laughs) shit out of her. And so there was a door attached to the corn 
living room next door that our aunt and uncle were staying in. And mom, mom was like, you guys, you guys just stay right there. <laughs> Brody would Maybe stay in the corn room. Okay, so bear with me now. I think I might just mostly stay in CD hotels explicitly that, you know, maybe charged by the hour, whatever that Ah, implies. makes sense. Uh, okay. Which is what I thought this place was, though. Ah, uh, no, this is uh, for the geologists, bro. Oh, yeah. right. The, the totally <laughs> abstinent geologists. No, they're having orgies <laughs> with one girl, three dudes. Well, that one dude didn't take his I clothes off. He was just sitting in the corner. Popped up. Oh. There were, there were two dudes and a chick oh, on the yeah. bed. And then whenever they were all checking out the results of the kerfuffle, I swear to God, another chick popped up out of nowhere. Oh, really? I, I think know. he's right. I, I think he's so. right. Yeah. I will have to say, uh, when Michael Smiley's character's on the phone and he calls Precious for the first time, he's like, yeah, you remember me? I'm the guy yeah. that was in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were with Dandy? Yeah, I was the one watching from the corner. Yeah. Can you go? Yeah. <laughs> no. Everything we did, they made remember that person a lot more, I think. I don't know. I don't have experience with that. <laughs> What, what did the owner of the motel call everyone? He was like, look, I got a, I got a hotel filled with gross, flabby sex people. Do you want a room or not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brody, set piece. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the fucking house as well. Um, I mean, Nick pretty much summed it up beautifully there before. Um, maybe to elaborate on, on it a little bit more. Uh, I actually like the whole location of it. Just, you know, it's, it's very mysterious at the same time as much as it is isolated. Um, but I feel that each room uh, feels like its own character to an extent like I, I mean I guess it's mainly due to the scenes of play out between you know the characters and um, or the dialogue and blocking of each characters mm. in the scenes and that um, and I mean it's all intriguing because of the story that's unfolding um, I feel like the lighting in certain scenes really captures the aesthetic of that house um, there is a little bit of the darkening happening mainly due to like the majority of it being at night I assume um, the house itself you know I love the overall design and architecture of it uh, it's got that very retro aesthetic about it um i mean beautiful and isolated it's a great location but it's mysterious at the same time so like uh i feel that each room has its own type of character and i guess it's mainly due to the scenes that play out between um i guess between each character it's the blocking or it's the dialogue um yeah i mean it kind it, it really it really gives the mood and tone of the film uh, throughout the interior shots and design i guess also that's due to the lighting as well um it, it definitely catches the themes of the film uh which is a bonus so yeah i mean it had a little bit of the darkening happening there i guess in some scenes but the, only because the majority was shot at night but yeah absolutely uh the location itself is fucking fantastic ryan yeah so uh obviously like the house i mean so yeah. the house is only the obvious choice because i feel like there's not a lot of set pieces in general uh it's it doesn't vary a lot from the light or the lighthouse the ufo house uh but i actually uh if i were to get a little bit deviant from that i i love the house don't get me wrong i i have been in love with uh the like uh, uh rooms with or uh houses with hidden rooms uh you know hidden passageways stuff like that i've always wanted to lift up a rug and reveal a trap door not to find my beaten and almost <laughs> 
stabbed <laughs> literally to shit dad in, but um I, I do love the concept of like just unique houses, like hmm. but uh I'd actually have to say my favorite area, my set piece uh where things were filmed would have been that rocky ocean side right next to the house, right hmm. at the base of it. Um uh it's so I loved that that's where the movie ended with the both of them. Uh, it just, whenever that final scene happened, whenever Elijah Wood came stumbling up, I was like, you know what? That's how I want to go. <laughs> Maybe not specifically to all of those circumstances, but just sitting down, dying by the ocean. Not saying Elijah's Wood character dies by the ocean, but uh, not saying either of them. It's it's ambiguous, I think, mm-hmm. on purpose a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's a little ambiguous. <laughs> uh but no just i i i love that ever since we uh took our trip uh my friends and uh, i um not the ones that wouldn't invite me to any birthday gatherings or anything i did go i did go on that trip so you didn't. <laughs> did you because no uh yeah whenever we took that trip out to the ocean and i got to witness it in all of its majesty uh to be fair i'm not surrounded by it to the degree that some of my other compatriots here on the podcast maybe wait we wouldn't be what's the actual definition of compatriot did i actually use that wrong uh i, I was talking about brody because he's on an island it's, it's a, a big island. it's a huge <laughs> island. we all on islands no i i just really like that ocean setting with those big jutting rocks mm-hmm. and that, that that the waves it's it's really appealing to somebody who's grown up surrounded by nothing but corn and soybeans <laughs> <laughs> yeah tj what about you what's what's your favorite set so only to give a different answer than everybody else, I will have to say the hotel. I love films that take mm. place in hotels, especially sleazy hotels such as this one. Uh, I mean, are those what is it? The geographers? Are they geologists? People? Geologists. Uh, yeah, they sit around and play with hard things all day. I had an ex that turned out to be one, so I can confirm. Yeah, uh-huh. this one's absolutely cool. I love how it's shot in the way they keep it claustrophobic and just gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't spend a lot of time in there, but I like the tension that is built within it of course the house is cool but you guys said enough about that already favorite scene and or shot ah this is a hard one. Ryan? Okay. Um. So, oh man, it's it's interesting because I was actually thinking of this question to myself before I even got your notes. Because, like, not even thinking about the podcast, that's just kind of how I deconstruct movies. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I want to see the purpose behind everything, basically. And, you know, that you accomplish that with, without knowing jack shit about movies and stuff. For me, personally, you kind of accomplish that by just taking it scene by scene. And it's like, all right, so which one screamed to me? It's like, oh, this had intention behind it. Like, a lot of times, that's what I'm looking at is something like that. But sometimes, now sometimes, things just get overshadowed by certain directions things might take. Maybe an unexpected twist or turn. Uh, So, <laughs> while there are some more maybe elegant answers that I feel like I could give, what I'm going to give has to be the uh <laughs> The, the one scene in particular where I am having a hard time finding his name uh, was Dandy the Asian fella? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so when Dandy got um, his comeuppance, uh, so, oh, it, so yeah, that's the, the that entire scene. His The entire time that he's on screen would have to be my chunk. So, first of all, the introduction to Dandy, because we, we hear of Dandy. Yes. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. What was his name? Jethro? The other guy? Yes, Jethro. 
through. He talks about Dandy. You you know Dandy's coming. He, you friend. know Dandy's something you want to get away from because the dad's like, no, dude, we gotta... <laughs> no, 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 like... <laughs> you want to get beat to death so, by a hunchback? Tortured to death. Oh, tortured to death. You want to get tortured to death by a hunchback? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was Dandy a hunchback? That's what they claim. That's what they called him, but he just honestly he looked just looked like, like a big bulky dude. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from the moment that the fuck's Elijah Wood's character's name? Uh, Norval. Norval. Yeah, uh, Norval Button Booper. Uh, the moment he walks in on him in the bathroom, I'm like, oh, is this a Pulp Fiction reference? And so that engages my brain to think a little bit more critically about it. Mm-hmm. Might be my explanation for why this seems to doubt for me is the context there. But mm. it, uh, it was fun because this movie so far has been a pretty solid subverter of expectations. It leans into the tropes and then leans into a different trope and then leans into a different trope. The sort of stilty walking of genres across is what really attracted me to this film in the end, I think. And that is kind of where it started for me was, uh, you know, you, you had the whole wheelhouse of, oh, okay, I expected it to be wildly different from the moment you first heard the dad. I'd start to get some of that further background. Oh, he's he might not be my actual dad kind of thing. It just kind of felt expected. And then that broke it back to comedy for me and then engaged that critical thinking. And then from the moment of his, uh, from there to the moment of his death, it kind of set the tone for how the rest of the movie was going to be, in my opinion. Like you had a guy beaten to death with saran wrap, right? Yeah. The weapon of choice. Uh, and that, that kind of broke that wall for Norval. It uh, led into the next stage of events. It was just, it was such a, a well done transitionary period, in my opinion. And I think that's what makes it my favorite, like, scene. Uh, although, that nut stabbing. <laughs> that's living with me for a long time. <laughs> yeah, pretty visceral. So much. If it was just a couple, I'd be like, oof, ouchie, and then go on. But no, it was just <laughs> too much, man. It it was it's a good thing that it it affected me so negatively. That's not a, a knock against any of the production. I liked that it made me uncomfortable. Welcome to Exploitative Films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slick. Um, I think for overall scene, um, the one that really probably stood out to me the most uh, is that initial scene of Norville attempting to impress who he thinks is his father mm. by claiming to know Elton John and pulling out the whole, well, you know, his name is actually Reginald. Uh, and, and you know, sort of mixing in probably just stuff that he knows from like <laughs> Wikipedia mixed uh, with probably just shit that he's making up as well. Um, that sort of back and forth, that like an initial kind of cat and mouse of Gordon going, oh, well, no shit. So do I. And he, oh, um, I was not expecting that. Uh, no, 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 you don't have to call. I, I really kind of liked that as sort of the establishing of Norval's character and sort of the grounds that they're on. Um, it does. I think that is one of the the scenes that Brody mentioned kind of suffers from the darkening a little bit. Um, because they're, you know, in that dark room night gathered around the, ca- uh, the fireplace and everything. But yeah, so I, I think that is probably one of the ones that, uh, kind of does suffer from that a little bit. But I do think that overall it is a very well done scene. Um, I do think that it kind of needed to be dark to sort of get its point across and make it a bit more intimidating. Um, and help play into Stephen McCaddy's character. Uh, as for just straight shot, I am going to have to go with the final back shots of the two tops of their heads over mm. the uh, log um, 
as they may or may not succumb to their injuries on the mm-hmm. beach together. Um, I do think that that's probably the overall scene of that mentioned. That is my favorite shot. But the Avril the 14th from Aphex Twin playing while he's walking through the woods going up, which is a little nod because Come to Daddy is the Aphex Twin song as well. Yeah, um, I was going to ask if mm-hmm. that was mentioned already. I was like, I don't think we put it in the notes. It, it They did play into it. They wanted to use Aphex Twin for it, but they put Avril 14th, which I kind of like more. Um, but yeah, yeah it, I like that. Oh, yeah. I like that walkthrough scene. I like that Norville quite got the. An- I like that Norville never quite got the answer from his dad as to why he sent the letter out. But I do. I th- uh, Ryan and I were talking about this a bit before the uh, show earlier today. I really think that he he just wanted to reconnect with his son because he knew his old buddies were catching up to him and uh, they got to him before Norville did. But yeah, um, that was probably my favorite scene and shot. Brody, what was your favorite scene and or shot, good sir? Well, I didn't actually really have a favorite shot because I found the cinematography very very basic. Limp dick. Not to say that. Yeah, I mean, not to say that it's not filmed well or done well, just that there wasn't really any iconic shots that stood out to me. Um, however, best scene, I would have to agree with you, Nick. I did have that conversation between the two of them, uh, was Stephen and Elijah, about Elton John. I thought it was a fucking fantastic scene to see basically who's got the bigger dick and then when one gets caught out. Um, yeah, it's great to see Elijah go back into his fucking shell. So um, pretty much, yeah, just playing him at his own game to call bullshit. Um, at and being drunk at the same time was fucking fantastic. There was that tension laid with the, like this comedic element to it, and I thought it was fucking fantastic to see unfold. Um, actually, I'll give an honourable mention to Stephen and Elijah's argument scene the next day that leads to a fucking heart attack. Mm. That that whole scene where they're arguing, um, and the way that Stephen snaps at him, he's like, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And then like runs at him. It's like, holy fuck, this man is, uh, yeah, gonna fuck his son up six ways from Sunday so um, I mean I could rave on all day about all the scenes that Steven's in I think that like he stole the show um, for the amount of time that he was on it um, yeah I mean yeah they're, they're my favourite scenes to be honest um, I was going to choose a death scene as a favourite scene but I'll talk about that next mm. um, but what about you Mr. Bowser okay so my favourite shot there's a scene whenever he goes to use the, se- the phone and the way that that frame is set up and everything just mwah, absolutely great comes to mind when I think of shots uh, after watching this film very fresh uh favorite scene more like a sequence here is uh right after he opens the tunnel to go down i think that is all really well done i like the fact that how they utilize that twist and everything with his father actually being down there and that being the noise i also like how the way they introduce michael smiley's character like him coming down and just being the most grotesque human that you've ever met and then some, especially having a bag of shit that he sniffs, well, pre-sniffs before pulling out a pen. Uh, yeah. And then the way that he kind of goes and hides in the closet, kind of like Laurie did in Halloween, that could be inspiration uh, right there. Uh, really fucking cool. I liked it. Just thought it was a really neat scene. So, favorite effect or death? This movie is definitely packed full of those <laughs> <laughs> effects. I don't know. Like, poo pen's pretty cool. Uh, cause yeah. it's just fucking nasty as hell. I like the uh, paper. What the fuck? Oh, the, the uh, check. Sp- it's a check spindle. Check spindle in the cheek. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that used as a weapon. Also used in the film Terror Train uh, to fight off the killer. Just yeah. you know, reference another thing there. But yeah, that's a Canucksploitation film as well. Okay. That's the only movie I know that uses that paper thing. The the check spindle thing. Yeah, it's, I don't think I ever, I've ever seen it used. I, I haven't seen that movie. So I think Come to Daddy's the only one I've seen it used. I've seen one. I, I'm trying to think of what it was. Somebody got stabbed through the hand with one or like Ooh. somebody 
somebody got their hand pushed through one. Ah, and just it was probably, it was probably uh, the butterfly effect when he um, ah, yep. shit. Well, there we go. Yes. There's another film that has it. We did it. <laughs> Thank you, Brody. Uh, can I just we quickly all... power through my yes. favorite effect in death because internet's been a downright cunt. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Brody. Um, so yeah, so favorite effect. Uh, I would have to go with the metal rod slowly inserted into the brain. Um, the sound design <laughs> behind that scene is absolutely fucking gut wrenching. Squishy. Uh-huh. And funny at the same time. Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, it's so simple and yet so effective. Uh, it's hard for me to watch and stomach that scene. And yeah, to see it again, it definitely snuck up on me. Just when I thought I'd forgotten all about it for good, I had to fucking rewatch it and remember it all <laughs> over again. So thank you, Nick, for that. You're welcome. Um, no worries, mate. Uh, but I'd have to go favorite death. Dick stabbed a cling rat. Uh, obviously one of the more brutal deaths I've seen in any fucking film. It's like he's wanking him off with a pitch, uh, with a pork fork. <laughs> Do I need to say any more than that? No. That right there should sell the fucking movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How about you, Slick Nick? Well, um, there's not a ton of like effects, really. I mean, a lot of it is pretty subtle practical effects, usually in the deaths mm-hmm. and, and the injuries and things like that. Um, the only one I could think of I probably didn't like, Brian's makeup, the dad, the like fake, uh, his eye getting swollen. At one point, you can kind of actually see like where the prosthetic of the eye kind of comes away from it a little bit. I pointed, I saw that one and I could not unsee it after that. And it looks Um, like a vagina, to be honest. (laughs) The whispering eye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, at least for death, I'm going to have to go with Brody's favorite effect of the check spindle going into Jethro's head. (laughs) And just the, you just the like, the, neurons firing all at once as he dies or saying like Arthur or whatever he does the <laughs> as he yeah. like falls makes it that much worse which is just lends to Michael Smiley and I love that um I love that from him I think it's um, also interesting that they utilized that thank you bag and the logo from the same store that kills mm-hmm. him is found is that what tells him that he's not alone on the island on the yeah island, that's but, uh, that it's yeah bigger burger it's the same sign that uh takes a slice out of that uh, one dude's mm-hmm. head. I don't know. And it's the toy that the guy has. Tiger being a, th- a theme in this movie was yes. really interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I was waiting for some sort of payoff besides it just being his childhood thing. I thought maybe there'd be a more behind the scenes mm-hmm. reason, but that never cropped up. Yeah, there were like- a lot of little tidbits like that as well. Like him, um, I think part of the reason why Gore so was so hostile to him um, was in kind of bringing up sore memories when he was telling about about how he almost slit his wrists in the bath. And then he sees, you know, the the rest in peace Ryan on his on his neck and he asks uh, Brian about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, it, real sad. His son slit his wrists in the bath and he's like oh <laughs> i just told I him about how i almost did that there's a there's a lot of little like tidbits that kind of call back and forth mm-hmm. uh throughout it interweaving subplots and little details cool shit mm-hmm. that's Ra- funny because i definitely i noticed the tattoo for ryan mm-hmm. obviously because my name mm-hmm. is ryan huh. and so say seeing a rip ryan kind of i don't know because I, I explicitly knew i was like wait is he is did it say rip ryan did i just mistake it did not see it right but no mm-hmm. i never thought there was a payoff for the Ryan, I must have like looked away for a half a second when that part came up. <laughs> 
So it's it's was... just a little bit that like he and his dad are talking to while he's carrying him out of the house. Okay. Mm. Ryan, do you have a favorite effect or death? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, kind of really curious. So anytime there's a dead body in cinema, there are two options, right? You either have a prosthetic or the actors just lying very, very still. And in the scenes where we had the dead dad, dead uh, assumed dad, what have you, the corpse... Gordon. Um, yeah, he, um, he, he was, so I'm assuming that was the actor, because if it wasn't an actor, it was a very well done puppet, what have you. But the thing that got me is his pupils never dilated. And there were, I'm 90% sure there were actually light changes like there were shadows overplayed his head shifted and stuff and so like cgi they had to have cgi'd his either his pupils or the light sources to make sure that his pupils never deviated from their state because corpses don't dilate could be contacts it could be contacts oh that would suck if you had to do so much filming with that can't imagine well just from the people who cosplay they say it's terrible just having him in i can't imagine that being an actor like that that's commitment Mm. it's steven mccaddy though (laughs) yeah exactly Exactly. Uh, but that was just what I noticed for effect wise is he played the role of a corpse very well. Yeah. So thoughts on story boys, definitely unique, has elements of what they try to lead you to be a supernatural and kind of gets into a psychological, then kind of gets into some more crime stuff. It's interesting. It's, it's definitely a really unique story, especially for the modern genre that it kind of mm-hmm. sits in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't do them. They don't make them like this anymore. And I love how grounded the story is, how it's not too crazy and it's actually believable. Like this shit could actually happen, mm-hmm. uh, especially mm-hmm. in some of the more secluded areas of America, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely interesting story. Never seen it before. Like this is my first watch. Uh, before Nick even recommended it for the show, I really never even heard about it. <laughs> Yeah, seeing Elijah Wood in some of these later roles in things like Sin City and Maniac, just allowing him to show like a darker side of himself or play darker characters. It's interesting to see him go there and touch on some of more, let's say, touchy subjects, especially with like things like suicide and uh, even some of like the modern uh, character types that we see introduced here. With like the, the faux hipster dealing with some uh, recovery issues, it, it it's interesting to have this conglomerate of type of characters together interacting. Uh, and like again, we mentioned earlier the the subtlety, but also the entering like how interesting the father is, how he's like so subdued in his performance, but his backstory is just absolutely fucking wild, and it makes him interesting because of that. But yeah, Nick? Yeah, um, it's like, it, it, just kind of to elaborate on it, I, I do like that it sort of came from that personal space from Ant, um, of, you know, what he was thinking of with his own father's passing, uh, and just being at the, the funeral, and having people come up to him that he never met before, he never knew, never knew that his dad knew, and they were sharing all of these stories um and it kind of plays into that idea of like even some people who are close enough to you to be your like immediate blood relatives you don't know who they are um completely like 100 percent, you don't know every single thing about them who they are what they've done um and that it directly affects norville like that too when his father kind of reveals to him and everything 
when he's like, well, all the money's gone. And he's like, well, where is it, dad? And he goes, do you not know why your mom doesn't have a job and you are an L.A. rich kid from a Beverly Hills mansion? And for it to dawn on him that like, oh, he has been in my life this entire time. He's been funding my whole life off of the back of his crimes. And like, and now it's coming to kind of haunt both of us that we're both having to go through with this because he decided to pull me back in one last time right as he gets caught. Um, And I think that just like all the twists and turns and everything that go through with it, but it never seems to actually like lose focus, even with the sort of genre switches and the changes and everything. And I just kind of really like how the story was able to stay grounded um, through all of it and still present something that's like really interesting and can kind of make you think, you know, when your relative passes away, something like that. Like, did I really know everything about him? Did I really know exactly who this person was and that and that kind of thing? Um, but yeah, that's really about my thoughts on the story. Um, Brody, what did you think? Yeah, uh, like Mr. Bowser said earlier, I like how they were able to intertwine these subgenres uh, to make it play out or to, to mislead you um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the film as you watch it and it unfolds. But I think what makes the film is not only the clever screenwriting, but the actual tone of dark humor that works so well throughout the film and how they build these characters around it. I think they do it absolutely or extremely well to an extent. I think the script is original, which I really like. And yeah, I've got to say though, in the end, to me, the dad is a piece of shit in this film. And not only does he drag his son into the bullshit, he ripped off his best mates and fucker deserved to get stabbed by a poop head. So... You know, I was wondering why you were shaking your head earlier whenever I was saying performance. And now that I realize that you just fucking hate that character, (laughs) that makes so much sense now. Okay. Uh, Comes full circle. And I thought you were were going to ask me that earlier. And I was like, no, I think Mr. Bears might be saving that one for further down the track. (laughs) Yeah. I I was about to be like, are you okay? Explain your yeah no but um yeah I think it I think it's yeah original and that's what I really like about it uh, about you Ryan uh so it <clears throat> all right so uh my dad died so dad death is kind of like a topic of films that I generally I try to avoid but I always end up in him on accident like I. I uh, watched uh, Big Fish with Ah. my last girlfriend with not knowing that I just knew it was like some fantastical, like Mm. there were a lot of crazy elements to it. Like Danny DeVito was in it. There were a lot of big stars. And then I like we watch it and like we get to the end and I'm just like broken down in tears. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, honey. And I'm like, I didn't know this was the movie. Yeah. This was only like a couple of years after he had passed too, so it was rough. But um, dad death movies are just like something I'm never prepared for, so I always take more of a, a, a critical look at them, I think. But the fact that they played the horror and comedy against each other in like the exact right way that played towards my sensibilities, Nick knows what I'm talking about, uh, and it, it changed genres. I'd correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like the movie changed genres every like 15 to 30 minutes. And I loved that. It kept me on my toes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Mm -hmm. it, it it was like, uh, like TJ and, uh, Nick have already said, and maybe, uh, fuck. Um, (laughs) it was, it was a pretty grounded story. You know, you thought it might get into that supernatural element with all the banging around, but it didn't. And I appreciate that. And I like, how even though it's not 
exactly a realistic film. It's a plausible film. Like, I could see... The world... The world's a crazy place. I could see this playing out for somebody. And then to find out in the background that it's a... Uh, it's a... a uh, sort of development on somebody's personal experience of um, uh, it, it's kind of funny the description of what he did is it seems unique from that but it's just sitting Shiva basically mm-hmm. uh, Shiva in the um, more Jewish cultures uh, that was a weird way to phrase that but it um, it's a very compelling story because I think it I think it connects to a lot of people but it being such a sort of an indie indie but you know what I mean again I don't I'm talking to guys that actually know their shit it's I'm, I'm used to talking to a, a fucking two years from retirement old fucks that haven't seen a movie since Titanic <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah, you were yeah. going into Beetle Bros I was like I'm also on Beetle <laughs> oh, no, that's the problem because they're I'm on the ground that I'm comfortable with. But yes. once we get outside of that niche, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I watch movies, but not all of them. That's understandable. So okay. as far as takeaways for this film, I really like how they play on the father thing. And at the end, they kind of play on how they're sitting there together and he reaches over and touches his hand. Like at that moment, mm-hmm. they're together. Now they can start their relationship again that was taken away from them so long ago because of like Brody said that asshole father's choices and <laughs> Well, really mistakes though uh yeah. yeah it's it's a film it's unique enough to stand out i don't know if i'm gonna watch it a bunch more or even buy a physical release of it but Goodbye. it was it was like a half chub for me you know it was uh it was entertaining but i wouldn't uh i wouldn't want it all the time it's green room all over again <laughs> yes it's green room all over again although an episode or two ago you did say that you, it was the first a24 film i got you to enjoy yes so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying i didn't enjoy this film it's just not incredible. Super interesting because I view a half chub as being worse. Like if you're just going around rocking a half chub, that's way worse than just going around flaccid. <laughs> flaccid, I can enjoy things like water skiing and playing Pokemon. If I'm half chubbed, I'm like, oh, no, dude, like, I don't know if I'm horny or hungry. Like, <laughs> it, it, it was confusing at, at times, you know, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. Uh, yeah. Biggest takeaway I had with this film is probably the fact that it's like, I mean, despite all the funny bullshit that happens throughout the film, it's actually a really fucking sad film. The one time he gets to re- reunite with his dad is basically in death in the end. You know, you, you kind of feel for Elijah's character. He gets lied to made it to kill and really gets fucked over in the end by the person who should love him the most realistically his character is treated like shit and that's probably the biggest takeaway i had from this film like it's not a happy ending at all mm. even though yes they are there but to an extent they're probably gonna fucking die and elijah's just been roped into this fucking shenanigans and he's old and knew what he was doing he knew what he was doing and what he had done and all that bullshit so he was quite aware of the situations that got him into this mess but you know and i understand that he was trying to reconnect with his son but in the in the end it's like if you know you're in trouble just you know fucking yeah, right just, yeah, you, keep you it away from your kid at least yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right yeah don't ha- bring your kid into your bullshit and i mean i didn't necessarily hate the character when i was watching it but at, at the end of the film i was like fuck he took a minute to stop and think dead. about it <laughs> yeah i said yeah like if i had to flip the story on its head a little bit i'd be like his character is an absolute fuckwit but anyway <laughs> that's my little rant for today um i'll still enjoy the 
the fucking film. Um, like I said to TJ last night, I said I actually enjoyed it on the second viewing more than the first. Um, but yeah, no, I, I look, yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a film that I'm not necessarily going to go out of my way to watch all the time, yeah. but it might be like yeah. once a year or something, you know, just, oh, fuck, come to daddy. I'll watch that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just me. What about you, Mr. Slicknick? Well, um, honestly, yeah, I, I kind of do agree with both of, uh, you and, and TJ, uh, in those sorts of, uh, the takeaway, the sort of, um, well, at least they're together at the end, but at the same time, his, his dad is a piece of shit for dragging him into this. Yep. It is really just kind of, like Ryan said as well, um, a plausible story. It's two deeply flawed characters coming together. It makes sense that they're related. They're both completely <laughs> batshit insane in some ways, in their own ways. Um, and it's just extremely interesting to watch Elijah's character of Norval, um, maybe not so much go down the same route as his dad, but be dragged down by his dad in the end. Um, I really enjoy seeing Elijah Wood and really any actor um, just kind of start to do movies that they just want to do, that they just like to do ideas that uh, just grab a hold of them and they go, yeah, absolutely. That was something that we uh, talked about with Rutger Hauer for the hobo with the shotgun, um, that they pitched that to him thinking there's no way that <laughs> the bad guy from Blade Runner is going to do this. And he came in and was like, okay, this is weird enough to get my attention. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and how straight do you want me to play this character? And they were like, holy shit, we actually got him. Um, I, I love seeing it with Daniel Radcliffe trying to shed his Harry Potter and do stuff like Swiss Army Man and just weird shit that just is fun. And it looks like it was made for the people creating it. Uh, and then if you had just have just you just so happen to like it, it made them happier. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's really mostly my takeaways. Um, I addressed most of the other stuff and my thoughts on story, but just kind of overall, I like that this movie was made and I want actors and creators to make more stuff like this in the future. Ryan, what did you take away from this? Well, so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I thought I would have uh, pretty similar ideas and takeaways as the rest of you. And I do. I share the sentiments of both you and Brody, what you've mentioned so far. I haven't heard a thing that I disagree with, but something that I was thinking about that hasn't been brought up. So, I mean, I, I'm obviously like, I'm, it's one of those, I'm interpreting the art the way that I view it, you know, like I'm, I'm seeing the art for myself. This is me. I'm not saying this is what the uh, director, actors, or writer, like nobody m- maybe intended this, but it's interesting for me in my perspective to see all of the friends of the dad, the guy, the, all of the characters basically are sort of, they're the different processes of grieving. Uh, mm. So you have, right off the bat, you have the fake dad. Uh, d- uh, what's his name? Gordon. Gordon. Uh, you have Gordon. He's anger, alcoholism, reclusivity, what have you. Like he's he's the shuttering yourself off, turning that anger more inward. Uh, but he he's got that factor to it. And then I hey, obviously you see the dad, but then you see the other friend. Uh, shit. Uh, starts with a J. Mad flautist. Jethro. Jethro. Yes. Jethro. Uh, he's like the the like sexual, the the more extroverted. Uh, the physical side of things. Um, unfortunately, we don't get enough dandy character development. I'll always remember his name, apparently. Uh, <laughs> we don't get enough dandy, but he seems like the middle ground from what little... He takes a shit, you know? That's part of the grieving process, <laughs> is taking a shit. But no, I, I, that's my takeaway, is like, it's every every character is used. That was it. That was what I could have saved the last 15 minutes on, is every <laughs> character feels used. There's not a waste, which is why if they had a physical actor for the mom, I don't think it would have, I mean, it would have been the same, but even even the EMT, you know, or not EMT. Oh, the coroner. Uh, 
she had a role to play in the overall story. She was, you know, a, a proxy to Norval, something he could reach out to that was beyond all this strange situation and then immediately cut off because that's realistic. Mm. It, it was very efficient in how it used every aspect of the story. <laughs> Okay, so let's rate this week's film, and this week's rating is A Strange Father Stabbed with Shit-Covered Pens out of five. Nick, start us off. I really like this movie. I'm going to say 3.8. 3.8. Brody? I'll give it a uh, 3.1. Ryan? I'd say uh, 3.2. 3.2. I'm going to give it a 2, and that is a LCE score of 3 out of 5. A Strange Father Stabbed with Shit-Covered Pens for 2019's Come to Daddy. Nick's still looking to breach that 4. Uh, uh, <laughs> we will fucking get there one day. You will like my damn movies, you son of <laughs> I think you might like Cairo. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, next episode, we have the season finale. Sadly, we are coming to an end of season four, but we're going out with style with Scanner Cop 2, The Showdown, and I can't fucking wait. Boys? Fuck yeah. Yes, I too can't wait <laughs> to make my appearance on Skater Cops 4? Is that what it was? Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> the, the, whatever uh, thing, I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> I can't wait to bust that freaking thing back out again, man. <laughs> fucking A. So, I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of your favorite podcast. This has been the Pod Boss, TJ Bowser, signing off! This is like Nick saying, thank you all for listening. Can't wait to see y'all next week. And I hope we have a great finale for y'all. This is your DKB signing out saying I'll catch you motherfuckers next week. And thank you, Ryan, for joining us. Hit the music. <laughs>